You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole coming at you live here from Hawkins. Uh, Man, this place is weird. There is crazy stuff happening all the time. And so I am glad to have with me a Stranger Things expert, an expert in strange things happening, Christy Morris. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, I also go by leader of the Hellfire Club, uh, Dungeons and Dragons aficionado. But, you know, that's just my sidekick. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we are going to be able to finally talk about this. I mean, didn't realize I, for the longest time, I'd, it just felt like it was never going to actually happen, uh, which I is, know uh, we're talking about part one of Stranger Things here. Season four, uh, as we're recording, I think the second part of the season drops in July there on the first, if I'm not mistaken. So Mm -hmm. and then we'll talk about that, uh, give everybody time to watch it and we'll wrap up the entire series. But before we even dive into part one. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We really appreciate it. Of course, you could find us wherever you get your podcasts and. We definitely appreciate when people subscribe, so you get the show as soon as it drops. Uh, we love when people share us with their friends on social media, or just, you know, word of mouth is one of the best ways to grow a podcast. So, hey, man, if you enjoy us, please just let other people know. Uh, you can also help us out by giving us a star rating and review over on a place like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of the other podcatchers that let us get uh, reviewed. And of course, you can also find us on places like social media. So we are on Twitter at the 602 Club. We're also on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. We can also be found on Facebook with the entire network over at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We've got the listeners-only discussion group. You can join there on Facebook as well called the Babel Conference. And you can also find us over on the website at Trek.FM, and you can see all of the shows we're doing. We really would appreciate it as well, though, if you would go over to Patreon.com slash TrekFM. We need help with people being part of our team to make sure all of this content keeps coming to you each and every week. Uh, It's pretty expensive to do. And the last few years, I have to say, have been pretty tough for us in that regard. Uh, and also, you know, it's one of those things where, like, we don't want to have to start searching for other ways to, you know, maybe ads and all that kind of stuff. So if you like what we do here, go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of the team. So, Christy, this wasn't on the outline, but this is something I am actually really interested to hear from you. I know that you have enjoyed the show Stranger Things. In fact, you're based out of Georgia, so this is a show that has meant a lot to Georgians since it's filmed in Georgia, a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And we had a massive gap, though, between season three happening and season four happening and their release dates. Part of that is obviously, you know, the show... um, got delayed by COVID, like lots of things did. Um, but just how were you feeling kind of coming into the season? Had had Stranger Things in your mind lost any steam because of the long delay? Or were you still just raring to go? So actually, the thing that made it, it did lose a little steam for me and for my husband, but not because of the distance between the release dates. Actually, for us, it was... Um, initially we were really excited for a season four, um, because of the way that three ended. Um, however, seeing the teasers a couple of times that Mm -hmm. Hopper was going to come back Mm -hmm. was what made it lose a little steam for us. Really? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I will say, honestly, I felt like the way that they had him go initially was the perfect way to wrap up that character with a neat bow. You know, he disappeared. Um, seemingly, we felt we could all assume that he was disintegrated by the, you know, ray gun that Joyce had to blow up to close the upside down gate. Um, and that that was also 
why he then had that letter that Eleven reads to herself, um, sort of as another form of closure for Hopper's character. Um, But it felt very fitting for what, like, the blaze of glory Hopper would have wanted as a person. Um, Sort of similar to Bob sacrificing for everyone else to get out of the lab. Um, That Hopper was kind of doing something similar. It was heroic. Or Billy sacrificing himself. Yeah. I mean, the the show is rife with sacrifice metaphors for sure. Right. So them then bringing him back felt like, man, although we love David Harbour and we would always love more Hopper, it felt like we ended it in a great place for him. So why would we need to bring him back? Are you actually Mm going to have a good story for him now? Yeah, no, I can understand that. It's interesting because that's not something that ever entered my mind, and mainly because mm-hmm. I, I don't think I ever thought him to be really dead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just always expected that they would bring him back. And for me, on the other side, I think it really was the time that we, I mean, the show, the last time we saw the show was 2019. It's mm-hmm. 2022, you know, and... That's a lot of time to pass between seasons and it becomes very difficult to like, you know, if you unless you do a massive rewatch, you might not necessarily remember all the details that happened in the previous season. And I think, you know, it became one of those things where Stranger Things had kind of fallen out of the cultural zeitgeist in some ways. You know, it was this big deal. And then when it's gone for so long, people just kind of forget it's there. And then mm-hmm. I honestly think that the way that Netflix does its release uh, strategy, which is terrible, if you ask me, um, th- it doesn't stay in the cultural zeitgeist. It's not staying on social media, you know, because people can't talk about the episodes together it's just we've talked about that a million times on the show but this is truly one of those cases where it's just like yeah there, there's no communal aspect to the show and say the same way that right now as we're recording we're recording uh um two days before the final episode of kenobi comes out obi-wan mm-hmm. kenobi and that's something where you see it trending on Twitter for a few days after each episode because people are talking about it. And then they're able to talk about it together because the whole thing isn't being spoiled. It's just the one episode. And mm-hmm. it keeps the momentum building. Whereas this, you know, it's gone. It it drops and it's gone. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's it doesn't really seem like there's momentum. So... I think in all honesty, I, I just with the long time period in this, it just kind of felt like we were, ugh, you know, mm-hmm. and another thing, and this is, this I'm really interested to get your opinion about as well. This season, you know, they decided they were going to make this the final season, which I got to say, I think it's the best decision that they've made mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is to finally get this to to end. And part of that, I mean, the kids are growing up, you know, I mean, it's, it's not the same in, in that sense, you know, they're not these cute little kids anymore. They're like all teenagers and and or young adults, uh, you know, for the people pretending to be uh, older teens, you know. Um, and so because of the longer episodes uh, and everything, they decide to split the season up like a lot of shows have done where you have a part one and part two. Um, you know, you, you, Mad Men did it. Um, the Sopranos did it. Lots of shows have done that. I mean, even I think Game of Thrones did it. Where there's mm-hmm. part one and part two to the the final season. Uh, and so, how do, how is that working for you? Are are you did you like the that format here? Since we've only gotten part one, like did did it feel like the right decision there, or would you like for them just to drop? all of season, you know, four at one time. I actually think that this helps them with that very problem that you were just mentioning of releasing all the episodes at one time and then it suddenly being not culturally relevant anymore. This is now kind of delaying the end of it and drawing it out longer. So maybe that was also part of the decision making um, was to go more toward that format. Um, but I, I understand, too, how m- perhaps Netflix would have the feeling of, well, the binge watch is our model now, so I don't know how we get out of it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I like it being in two parts. I was kind of relieved because 
initially, as you're getting further along in the season, I don't know if you felt the same way, but you're kind of thinking, okay, they've only got this few numbers of episodes Mm -hmm. and a Mm -hmm. lot more story they seem to need to wrap up. Yeah, I mean, um, I... I I think you said it really well, and, and I think 100% that it actually does kind of help fix that problem in the sense that people are still talking about it because the seasons are close enough together. You're not having to wait an entire year or something mm-hmm. for part one and part two. Um, and so, yes, it's, it's allowing people now that they've seen part one to digest it, talk about it on social media. That's that's allowed that to live longer uh, life, which is fantastic. Um, and... I would say, you know, for me, it does feel like part one of the season, it basically did everything that you would need that final season to do in a part one, which is to answer enough questions, but just leave enough to where it's like, yeah, okay, we know what's coming is four massive episodes. I think, you know, they're, uh, or yeah. Or it's either two two hour. I think it's, I think it's two two hour movies. So it's basically right. like four episodes, but you know you get two two hour movies. So you've got you know um, four more hours of content coming, and I think that's plenty of time for them to be able to wrap up what they need to do. Especially when you see what they've been able to do with the longer episodes here. So yeah, I think it was a good choice to do that, um, mainly because it does help with the problem. I mentioned earlier and it it's I I would have even even though it's like uh, oh I have to wait it's it's giving me the opportunity to kind of sit and digest a lot of the things that we got as answers and stuff so I feel like I'm I'm actually more ready for the the finale now to come with the last two episodes than I would be if I just blazed through it real quick you know like I've actually got a time to kind of sit and think about okay what happened in those episodes, you know, like, and again, mm-hmm. that's the thing is like not dumping it all at one time. So to me, I think having the the splitting up of the seasons is great. And two, I've also enjoyed the fact that each of the episodes was a little bit longer at, and or a lot longer. And, and because it really felt like it gave us time to kind of sit with the characters and some of the really emotional parts of where the characters are going and and you know a big part of that is you need more time because these characters are older and their emotions are even more complex than they were when they were little kids right yeah you're definitely right i mean it, they need as characters that are maturing um need to be able to have more focus on how they're getting through that um because of course also you have less things to occupy your thoughts when you're younger that are, you know, like more adult problems. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that well, but <laughs> mm-hmm. no, I think that's uh, no, I think a hundred percent. I mean, as you get older, you become, I think more and more aware of the nuances of mm-hmm. all of the things that you're going through. And therefore, the problems do basically become, like you said, more adult. Right. Like, it, you know, at this point, I will add in a little bit as well. I like that they specifically dealt with, at this point, the characters are not only getting older, some of them have also gone through some real serious trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's about how each of the three teenagers are dealing with their traumas from the past and how mm-hmm. Vecna preys on that. Oh, yeah. And how thankfully, yeah. you know, um, we see Max's journey go a little bit differently, but the cheerleader and the reporter that end mm-hmm. up not making it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, you know, and those are, I think, those are moments. And I, that's a great, I, I'm glad you really brought that up because it makes me think of, like, reliving the past, you know, I, I think as an adult, and you know, there are moments in my life that I, it, there's that thing where I'm like, if I could go back and change that, I might do that, right? And obviously, it would totally change who I am now, and yada, 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 it could never mm-hmm. happen anyway. But there are those moments that we, the, where we're almost relitigating the past in our mind of like things that haunt us, you know? Uh, yeah. And that haunting 
can have a massive impact on our lives. And so I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that's one of the things here that this this season is all about is not being able to overcome those um, can be so detrimental to us in life. And the show, obviously, having a villain who preys upon people by accentuating those and basically leading down them down the path towards where they would be ready to commit suicide you mm-hmm. know like that that's who this this character represents is is those nagging deep dark thoughts that would cause somebody to get to the point where they're like i don't want to live anymore because mm-hmm. of the the past that they have that they just can't let go of mm-hmm. or find a way to forgive themselves for that's that's terrifying you know and partly it's it's just as terrifying as the horror elements because i think it's something that so many of us have spent a lot of our lives maybe living through yeah i'm so glad that you brought that up because i I do think that that's something you see so much in this season obviously and it's it's almost like it's scarier than any kind of monster they could make up as the villain of the show is the monsters, quote unquote, or the skeletons in our closet that we all live with. Monsters in the closet. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But, you know, like uh, the, um, I like that you specifically used the word haunt, the things that haunt us. It kind of plays on both sides of that, of like there being these actual monsters that are haunting people, but then also just the proverbial term of things that, prey on your mind that you bring on yourself Mm -hmm. yeah no i i think i i I was even thinking about the visual representation of what you see in the upside down here where there are those monsters that are with vecna and they are preying on you right and dragging you towards um you know where he's going to basically help you end it all uh and become part of his little um, I, I, you know, I we don't even know specifically exactly, although we can guess that what he's trying to do is is uh, break into uh, the real world again instead of the upside mm-hmm. down. So, but yeah, I mean, I there's there's actually that visual representation of like being preyed upon, you know, mm-hmm. like and and the way that those things keep plaguing your mind, and so I, I think. You're 100% right in that, and it's it's one of the places where I think the, the series did a great job, and I'm glad that it had a slightly more mature feeling to it because we're representing the fact that, you know, the kids are getting older and emotional trauma as a child, but then as you move forward, it can continue to compound. And that's what we're kind of seeing for a lot of people is that it's finally, things are coming to the surface, you know, and um, they they have to be dealt with or you could get lost in those deep, dark thoughts that could lead you to a place where you'd be willing to, you know, end it all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I yeah, I really like that. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned that because... I hadn't necessarily, it hadn't even been something that had been like in the brain there. And then you said something was like, oh yeah, no, that's totally right. So, Mm -hmm. well, and honestly led to one of the coolest scenes of the entire season. I have to throw this in. My favorite scene was of Max escaping from Vecna to the tune of running up that hill. Yeah. Yeah. And they got to put her, the actress Sadie Sink on a harness to like do the lift yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was cool. Well, and no, I, I agree with you because, you know, the the next thematic element that really pops out in the season is is really this fact of these people just want to be loved. They want to be forgiven. They want to be known and loved at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the terrifying nature of exposing oneself's flaws to another human being and the fear of rejection um, and the idea of just saying, no, I'm fine when you're not really fine, you know, and the only way to overcome 
trauma is to talk about it with somebody, to allow somebody in with you and have them help you through that and then find that acceptance and that love even in the midst of like bearing your soul in the deepest, darkest secrets, you know. Um, and, you know, like with with Max, it's specifically – She's not responsible, really, for Billy's death, you know, like, no. he was a t- and he was a terrible person to her, you know, um, and in the end, he kind of makes that turn and does the self-sacrifice and everything, but it's like, for her, it's like, there's not even this place, uh, there's just this survivor's guilt that she has now, um, and it continues to plague her, and, you know, she fears letting the people in her life uh, again and letting them see what she's dealing with. And I, I think, you know, uh, I, I really love that that plays out, you know, specifically with her and Lucas where he keep, you know, he's like, I'm here for you, you know? And I, I really, really love that because, it shows the importance of continuing to pursue our friends to be there even when it's hard. And in many ways, this really had some serious Harry Potter vibes from uh, Harry Potter 5, The Order of the Phoenix, where Harry is being possessed and being told that, you know, who he is by Voldemort, basically Satan telling him who he is, and then remembering the friends he has, remembering the good times and how that allows him to escape. Mm-hmm. And it's the same same thing here is uh, the same thing happens with Max, and it's such a beautiful representation of I think what m- we all need, really. Yeah, it, it's so good the way that they show how this is so relatable. Um, no matter what kind of trauma you may have been through, or why you are isolating yourself um, and not allowing yourself to open up about those feelings, or um, that need how it can, like you said, like have a ripple effect on the rest of your life and how Lucas keeps coming back and saying, I'm standing here saying, I want to know what's going on with you and I want to help you stop pushing me away. Um, Mm -hmm. And how it shows that bottling it all up never makes it better. Um, And I, I do really like that they show that she is able to overcome it. Like you were saying about thinking about all of the good experiences in her life and how everyone was there for her. Mm -hmm. And I think in addition to the survivor's guilt, she also just feels that although she was treated badly by Billy, that she still cared about him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the way in which that's a part of life, like, right. The way that we're treated by people, um, can obviously have a massive impact on our lives. And even those that treat us badly, it doesn't mean we can't still love people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I really like, again, what you said just really triggered something in my mind, which was this is the counterpoint, you know, to what we see in the idea of, like, that despair, you know, that would lead somebody to fall into depression that would lead them to maybe possibly commit suicide, right? Mm-hmm. The counterpoint to that is is that the truth of the matter is is that you are actually known and loved, that there are actually people there for you, that um, you are not um, this person uh, that you believe you, yourself to be, that your darkest thoughts are. Mm-hmm. The truth is, and Max experiences that moment, is that there was good and bad, but there was a lot of good, right? There was a lot of good that had happened in her life. There were a lot of people who have been there for her, that love her, that care about her. That, And that's where we need those then that community to remind us of those things when we can't remind ourselves. And how mm-hmm. important then that community is how important friendship is you know um relationships are so you know that could be a romantic relationship uh you know or it could just be a close friendship right Mm -hmm. and i think that's what's really beautiful is like obviously max and 
Lucas have dated. But that's not what this is about. Right. You know, he's caring for her as a person, as a friend, um, mm-hmm. more than just some some romantic relationship. And so, yeah, I, I really like that this uh, this show and the first part of the of season four has that juxtaposition then of the despair and hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the the tie to the Harry Potter vibes as well, because I, I definitely got that vibe of like almost uh, Harry and Hermione of um, sort of in this mm-hmm. case, I guess, Lucas playing like the role of Hermione. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like just saying I care about you and I want you to think good things about yourself and know that Billy dying was not your fault. Right. And that we all go through tough things and that you're not alone um, mm-hmm. was really great. Um, and I, I actually meant to, to um, say more about the, the horror aspect of everything as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, I, I mean, we got to talk about the fact that they amped up the horror. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Hey, it makes sense because like the Duffer brothers kind of explain as well that in the making of this, they realize that the kids are no longer at that stage in their life as people in the real world or in the show um, that they're, they're maturing, they're learning more about right. the world. And they also um, no longer felt that they could tell this story that's more PG. Sure. That the story yeah. had to mature too. Um, and so they wanted to focus on, okay, when you're at this point in your development as well as a person um what would the challenges be Mm -hmm. and how could the story apply to that and i love that they find these ways to also tie it to films that you might see in this like possibly a um exorcism kind of movies or Mm -hmm. um even times like uh, nightmare on elm street they actually had robert england in the show did you catch that? I did not, but uh, I wouldn't have, honestly, because I okay. haven't ever seen Nightmare on Elm Street. So, <laughs> Well, I know what Freddy Krueger looks like. <laughs> yes, yes, that's, uh, I, yeah, so. But, yeah, so he, he actually plays the um, character that they see in the mental hospital that has uh, his eyes missing. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. Fantastic, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it. I understand, obviously, there may be some people that were completely put off by that being so gory mm-hmm. this time around and more horror focused. And if you were, I'm sorry. Um, for me, it was just teetering on the line of what I will accept. Sure. But I would say, you know, you and I both have said before, we're not usually horror movie people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, watching this with my wife, there were moments where she was definitely not looking at the screen for sure. And there were some moments where I was kind of feeling the same way. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I think it makes sense, you know, that they, they, the Duffer brothers talked about specifically, and I thought this was really uh, ingenious and in all honesty is that, you know, you can't have these kids can kind of continue on these Goonies like adventures when they're not that age anymore. And so the, where they are now reflects more of those type of movies like Halloween and, um, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff like that. They were also saying they were uh, the the storylines for like Jaws and Close Encounters for the adults. That's kind of where we are for them. And so I think all of that really makes sense. And it's it's smart. And I think you're right that they walk the line really well. And yes, it, it it's, it's definitely crazy. Um, but I think it works for the series. And I think that one of the reasons that it works so well is because I think that with the villain that we have with, uh, Vecna and who he is to the series, um, is, it legitimizes the fact that the horror is even worse than before because this is, you know, this is our ultimate bad guy. And so what did you think about them finally laying out the storyline with them and how they kind of connect with the rest of 
Hawkins and basically explaining, you know, like with the villain, why all of this stuff happened. I really loved it. I, You know, I think that obviously I would be a fan of this because my husband and I play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and so I've obviously heard of the D&D character um, or villain of Vecna. Uh, but I like that for the show, they didn't just repeat what the character is in D&D, that they actually found a way to write the story here to connect to something relevant to mm-hmm. this group of characters. So they're directly then tying it back to someone morphing into becoming Vecna. Um, whereas actually, I will reveal that, you know, it, in, in D&D itself, um, Vecna is a is one of the greatest villains of D&D of all time um and that the, his left hand and left eye were the only parts of his body to survive um and could be stolen and used for someone's benefit but at a cost. Hmm, interesting. You know, because it's like imbued with his power or something. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I've never actually encountered Vecna in a game. Mm. I just wanted to throw that in. But um, yeah, yeah. So they added some things here to change that character a little bit for their mm. own needs. Yeah, I mean, I the whole idea that this is a character from you know before the series started, uh, from way back, um, that is, um, you know, it's it's Victor Creel's son Henry, and he. realizes basically that he has these powers that basically give him a god complex Mm -hmm. he decides that he wants to be free of any constraints even time he legitimately wants to be his own god Uh, and he hates the idea that he has any constraints on him and what we see is is that he became subject 001 in Brenner's experiments. And I think what was fascinating is that it really does help explain why Brenner then has these children who have these abilities. It does seem like in many ways he's been looking for the whole time somebody that could put a, could fight basically 101 or 001 if needed. Like mm-hmm. that that the whole point of all this seems to have been that. Um, And, you know, I I just love the way that, you know, we get the seduction of Eleven as a child by 001. Mm -hmm. Um, And that he basically pulls the whole Garden of Eden thing like no they don't really love you no you're you're here for bad reasons no they just want to control you all of that kind of stuff he poisons her mind to the point where you know he's allowed to break free and and get her to help him and exactly, exactly. she removes the chip she removes his mm-hmm. restraining bolt to tie it to Star Wars <laughs> yeah and I think the beauty that of that then is then she she is what Brenner thought that she was, which was the person who's able to vanquish him to the upside down. Uh, whether or not she creates the upside down or she just is has the power to vanquish him to that place. Um, and so like I love this because there is a it's a really interesting thing because there is such a and like a lot of those horror films, especially say like The Exorcist or things like that, there is a large spiritual aspect to this. And in this show, there is too. You know, Eleven mm-hmm. is lied to by basically Satan and told that um, the person who has been teaching her and guiding her and trying to help her be the best version of herself is actually lying to her the whole time. It doesn't have her best interest at heart, you know. And I think what's fascinating is to watch that whole thing get turned upside down where it's like, we all thought Brenner was the evil. And then we realize, Oh no, maybe he's not the evil. Maybe he's actually just basically been the good dad. Who's been trying to not only keep these kids safe, but the entire world safe. Because if somebody like one gets out, 
we're screwed. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, too, I think that the slow reveal of all of those things becoming tied together was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you, but I never put together that, A, a number one was still around. Because, you know, they introduced the idea as, oh, we've heard there was a number one out there. And the more that we started to see Eleven speaking to this person that seems to kind of be like a chaperone in the room, you start to wonder, who is he? Maybe, possibly he's number one. But also, I never put together that he would also be Victor Creel's son and then have become Vecna. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I... I'm a little bit different in the sense that I I always kind of figured that one exists the moment they mentioned him, and then I figured out it was him. But I didn't okay. necessarily figure out that it was Henry mm-hmm. uh, until they kind of re- – but, I mean, the, the other part seemed pretty – like I was not surprised with that, that reveal. Okay. Um, yeah. But, again, I with you, I thought they did a great job of building all that well so that when the reveal comes all the pieces really do fall into place and they make sense so mm-hmm. i i really i really appreciated that um and so um i, I you know uh, i was interested because an uh, another answer i felt like we got in the show was really to understand 11 you know Seeing what she went through there where she really has spent all of her life. She is special. People realize it and all they've tried to do is put her down um, for for being who, you know, who she is. And so that really, I think, helped make sense of, you know, obviously why she lashes out with the roller skate. Right. Um mm-hmm. Because there is that deep-seated emotional trauma that she's been through all of her life uh, of people constantly putting her down, picking on her, making her feel like less than human, basically, uh, or, or, or less than what she should be, you know. Uh, and I thought that that really, on top of all the, the reveals that we got with the villain and Brenner and all that, I think that just this did a great job of giving us an opportunity to finally understand that character of Levin. And you're right. We did also kind of get introduced to that back in the previous season where they finally delved more into her being mm-hmm. a girl named Jane and how right. her mother was treated. Yeah. Um, and then now this kind of following up on that, I thought was really fascinating that we get to see how it builds for her. Um, and that you can, you feel really bad for Eleven because you can also see that this probably is what happens a lot of times to kids that end up becoming bullies or, you know, committing acts of violence or something. There's clearly something deeply troubling them that they're, they haven't dealt with or haven't known how to deal with um, mm-hmm. and then lash out. Or just bottle it up to the point where they explode. Um, Oh, yeah. And, I mean, on the one hand, of course, her being treated that way by this other girl is not justified either. But also, did she really deserve what Eleven did to her? And, ugh, that looked icky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I mean... I mean, it is just a reminder of the sadness of the state of human beings that we would feel like we need to put other people down to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and in all honesty, that says way more about the people that do that than it does about the people that endure that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I thought that that was really fantastic there to really get, I think that full understanding then of, of like, 11 you know and Mm -hmm. you know when it comes to we talked about earlier the trauma that that we have as people and we carry around it with us you know she has an immense amount of trauma the poor thing has been through so much in her life 
And part of that, too, is that so much she hasn't really understood until Mm -hmm. now. And it does make you realize how important understanding our own personal histories and the context of those things are so important, right? Again, like the context of Brenner to her life is very different now. Because mm-hmm. especially too, her mind had had taken those memories and shoved them down, so she didn't quite understand, you know. But now she does, and that full understanding changes everything. So, yeah, it makes a big difference. And and how she writes those letters to Mike, and I love that Will openly calls her out on it. He's like, "You are making this stuff up as you go along. <laughs> None of it's true. Friends don't lie." Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, you're 100% right. And and again, that kind of comes back to the fact that Eleven and Max are s- s- sort of doing the same thing in the sense they're not being honest with the people that love them. Yeah. And that dishonesty hurts their relationships. They're not able to help one another the way they should be able to when we're not honest with one another. Um, so, yeah, 100%. Uh, well, the show for this part of season four has three different strands to it. Uh, and our first plot line takes place in Hawkins um, with Dustin, Max, Erica, Steve, Nancy, Robin, Lucas, and Eddie Munson, who's the leader of the Hellfire Club. Uh, and so second one is about Mike and Eleven and Will and Jonathan as Mike goes to visit them in California where they're living now. And then the third plot line is with Joyce and Murray uh, learning that Hopper may be alive and all that happens there. So what did you think about the way all of these storylines interact together and just the storylines in general? Did, did you like them all? Did you feel like they all ended up working? Was there one that you felt like was a little more lackluster than the other? I think that... It's a cool storytelling mechanism, especially when I think that this show very heavily revolved originally, of course, around Hawkins. I think that sort of like, you know, you and I are fans of Gilmore Girls as well. If you take the characters out of the hometown that everything is really based around, it can start to mm-hmm. feel um, disingenuous. And like, you're not really sure where the story is going. And so this was kind of a clever way as well to keep it tied back some way to Hawkins and to still keep it with that sort of small town feel that they're all together, even if they're in three different groups, um, that they're, they're still all somehow connected to the same problem and they're still having some of them set in Hawkins. Um, And then also I like that they're finding a way to weave these three strands together to still make sense without it feeling like you're just jumping around and don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think this was a great way to um, make sure uh, that all of the stories kind of make sense. Um, it's also a great storytelling structure because, I mean, you think of like the end of, just think of like the return of the Jedi. There are three different stories going on at one time and they intercut between them. Um, and you do that to help, you know, build tension in between them all. And I, and I think that really worked. Um, I also think, you know, you mentioned just kind of coming into the story and the fact that things are different. Uh, and the first episode specifically, I think feels off. Oh yeah, and I and I think that it's actually on purpose. I think that they do that in the way that they do because we're coming back to a show that we haven't been in for like three years, and all the kids look different, everything feels different, and so it's almost like the writers give you the opportunity to have that feeling in the show. Like, yeah, things are different; things aren't the same. And we know it, you know it, so we're just going to basically acknowledge it um, and give you that feeling inside the episode, and then we'll move on from there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that. it was weird watching that episode because I was like, oh, that didn't feel great. That wasn't really that good. Um, and then as I thought about it more, I realized, oh, no, that's on purpose. 
Mm -hmm. And then as the show went on, everything began to feel more like the Stranger Things that we're used to. So to me, that was a really smart move on their part. I agree. I I liked also that they really made that episode um sort of a a reminder of where we started that it's all going back to 1979 Hawkins and the lab um and I don't know if you noticed as well I thought it was interesting that they did some things with different types of editing and um, styles of storytelling with the visuals. Um, mm-hmm. But it was almost as well like a, I felt like I was watching an, an ASMR video or something. You know, if you go back and rewatch the first episode of this season, at first it's just clips with the sounds up very close to your ear. So mm-hmm. like the pencil on the crossword puzzle the sound of the razor on Dr. Brenner's face. Um, And then even stops with him um, tightening his tie and making a sigh before going to work. And it, it just feels like it's a slow way of bringing you back into the world and also doing exactly what you're saying, showing that things are different, but there's also these familiar ties that you'll remember. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, And, you know, I I think I just, um, I was really impressed with the way in which they were able to make all of these, you know, storylines work together. And they kept switching back and forth at just the right moment. You know, I never felt like, oh, man, you know, because as as interested as I was in what was happening when I was watching at that moment, I was still interested then in, okay, what's going on in the other storylines? And so that was really smart to me. Um, And, you know, I think having the opportunity as well to have the flashbacks we had, uh, all that really worked. Um, And so all in all, I was just, I was really impressed. And one of the things I was struck by, and I don't know if you feel like this at all, You know, I I know some people like for some like season two and three go back and forth for some people about whether how they like them or whatever. But, you know, I feel like this season showed me just how well you can do the structure of serialized television. And I don't really feel like many other shows have done it this well. Mm hmm. Oh, I'm with you. I mean, I I think I kind of related as well to the storytelling of the first season of The Witcher. You know, how we talked about, about the um, going over different characters and their own timelines and then eventually bringing them all together at the end. Um, I think that the Duffer brothers are definitely set up to be able to have a great career after this as well because they've shown that they're able to focus on what's the best format to tell this story and not just what the story is. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I, watching through this season, I was just really struck with it. I just don't feel like I watched a better serialized streaming show than Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. And in the sense that just in this season, you know, like the first season where everything was just every episode was clicking. Um, you know, after I got over my thoughts on season one and I kind of understood where they're going for, and then we got into season episode two, and then like, oh man, yeah, like everything is it is so well done. I was just really impressed. So mm-hmm. I do have to ask you though, because you know, our third plotline story is about Joyce and Murray with Hopper and everything there, and that was a contention for you coming into the season about knowing they were going to bring him back. So how does that work for you? Did you end up liking it? Are you glad that he's back now? I was pleasantly surprised and relieved at the way that they told Hopper's story now, because I felt like I just wanted to make sure they would have somewhere to go with it. And I really didn't know where they were going to go since he had died off supposedly. Um, 
let's do something meaningful with it. You know, let's not just bring him back just because. Um, And so I felt like here it was so great because they show that, A, he is still incredibly resilient. You know, he's going through torture. He's living in Russian prison and it's freezing. And he's still just completely himself and doesn't give in when I feel like any of us otherwise would um, Mm -hmm. and still believes that he is going to find a way out that, you know, that's the hopper that we know that he's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, nobody's going to hold me down. You don't mess around with Jim. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I really liked the storyline for him and in all honesty of, you know, trying to figure out why he survived his kind of lack of hope and then finding it again. You know, I thought all of those things worked really well for the story. And, you know, then the idea of him getting stuck there basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of his, the choice that he had made. Yeah. Just the whole thing was, was really, I think it was just really well done and, and I'm glad he's back. You know, I, I've always loved the character and, you know, I, it's it's one of those things where – and I think that the Duffer brothers seem to be going here a little bit with the series, which is, you know, you need that catharsis, I think, of that you put these characters through so many things and then you need to finally – especially as you're bringing the show to a close, you need to find a way to – give them a happy ending right like Mm -hmm. uh an ending that legitimizes all the pain they went through that helps them make who they are so then they can appreciate where they're going to be so i really i really like that and i think that's one of the things where specifically we're kind of seeing you know with the character of hopper legitimately thinking through those as he's you know in prison and talking to people in prison and like, you know, what's his purpose here? And what, you know, all of those questions. And I think it, it just, I'm, I'm glad that, and there wasn't any of these storylines where I was just frustrated to be in. If there's a weakest storyline, I think it's actually when 11 gets separated from Mike. Yeah. And the, the other guys, uh, and that storyline, is just not as enjoyable to me. Um, and the guy's uh, going to visit Susie. Yeah. I, I mean, it's fine. Um, you know, but I, Jonathan's friend Argyle uh, is just a little bit over the top for me. Uh, <laughs> and so um, I think that that's probably the weakest link, but it's, it's not enough to make me frustrated or angry or anything. It's just if I'm having to to be honest, that's where I'm like, yeah, that's not my favorite part of the series. But did you love the payoff of Joyce seeing an inkling of hope that he's still alive and bringing Murray back in and the two of them flying to Russia um, to go and get him? And then the whole thing of Joyce, Murray and Yuri... Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, those those three together are uh quite hysterical. Um and so um Yeah. You know, I like like that whole storyline was great. And you know, you have that uh, there's there's lots of interesting characters there in the prison as well, the the guy who's helping um Oh yeah, trying the guard. to help Hopper escape. Yeah. So all that's fantastic. He was actually in uh, Game of Thrones back in the day. Um he's the lead, main leader in the Faceless God Temple. Uh, ah, so, I thought I recognized him. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, all of that I think was was really well done. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't really have any issues with it. Uh, the biggest thing here is that I feel like they set up themselves really well to have the finale. And now the season, in in all honesty, it comes down to how does it end? Yeah. And you just really want them to stick the landing because if they don't stick it, it's gonna hurt the season and it's going to hurt the series overall. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm really interested though, because I don't really feel like we had anything bad to say about this, uh, part one of, of season four. So where did you end up coming down in your ratings for stranger things? Season four, part one, I am going to give it a 
four out of five um, Hellfire Club t-shirts because I thought that looked so cool. And now I'm seeing that people are selling the shirts and I love it um, just because I love D&D and it's cool looking. But I I also really enjoyed the other things that you and I didn't get to mention of, you know, Nancy and Robin teaming up and posing as scientists to go visit Victor Creel in the mental hospital was hilarious. Um, Cause you know, apparently Robin took six months longer to learn to walk than all the other babies. Um, I also love the honest conversations between Steve and Robin about Robin trying to find out who she is and has the, you know, this person that she really likes, but she's also terrified about being herself. Um, And I mean, honestly, I was so glad to have Steve back. I thought for a minute that Steve was going to die and that had me really worried. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think that they go through so many really awesome things that we needed wrapped up here, but also then bring in these new characters and tie them all together. Um, I agree like you that I think the there are parts with the storylines with Eleven and with Mike having to go separately that didn't really jive for me or seem to fit well with the rest of the season so far. Um, I just don't think Susie really needs to be involved anymore. Honestly. I mean, like it's fine, but it's not really necessary. Um, and I, I'm excited to see where they go to wrap this up. Um, I think that, like I said, that the greatest part about this season was seeing Max get such a, Mm -hmm. strong story and seeing her succeed. And Mm -hmm. apparently now that Kate Bush song running up that hill is like number one on iTunes because of this show. (laughs) I saw that. Yeah. Uh, I love how shows can do that for for old music, which is great. And I mean, I'm right there with you. I think my rating is actually the same. Um, It's four out of five. And I, I think it is that because I think it could go up if they stick the landing with the finale if that happens those those final two episodes it could the, the overall basically i think could go up um but it really depends on what they do there and yeah i'm glad you mentioned all those things and and that's one of the things about talking about an entire you know quote unquote season of television as we are right now you know there's so much in there and i think you mentioning all those character moments, that's one of the things that this show was absolutely able to do and why people gravitated towards this, toward it in the first place is that we love the actors and we love the characters that have been created. And so just being there with them, getting them see to do all these fun things and interesting things together and just seeing them interact together, yeah, 100%, I'm right there with you. I just can't wait uh, to see where we go next. So, well, Christy, before we get out of here, I think it's time, as always, to give our recommendations for people what we think they should check out. So mine is kind of a, a group of recommendations. I don't know. It's, it's one main thing. And uh, that is that if you haven't seen um, the stories that Joe Manganiello has told through playing D&D, um, as his character, um, he also has played with the Critical Role team about stories relating to Vecna. And so I highly recommend checking out, um, if you just Google Joe Manganello D&D or um, Joe Manganello Vecna, um, there's some really awesome stories. Um, and it's sort of like listening to an audio drama when you watch other oh, people wow. play D&D. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, check out that and uh, and Critical Role as well. Well, for myself, uh, I'm going to recommend checking out a movie that came out a long time ago now, uh, but by Ridley Scott, and it is Kingdom of Heaven, but it is the director's cut of that movie, and it is just a phenomenal film, and the director's cut makes a massive difference. There are basically 45 minutes added back into the movie, which make it an entirely better film in every way, shape, and form. And it's it's just so much better. It's the first time I've finally gotten a chance to watch it. It's, it is very long, um, but it's absolutely worth it. It's one of those places where 
I would say like, you know, Batman v Superman, where it's like the longer edition was better. It's sometimes having more time to tell your story makes a massive difference in the quality of the movie. And this is one I think everybody should check out. So Kingdom of Heaven Director's Cut, I'm going to go with that. But Christy, if people want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on these days, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bespin Bell. And also, when I'm not here on 602 Club, I do a show with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network, Skynet. So I hope you will check out us talking about geeky things we don't normally get to cover. And Teresa's new updated YouTube channel, Planning with Penguins. Nice, nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can also find me, of course, all over the place on social media under the name MattRushing02. Also here on the network, I've got the bonus shows here in the 602 Club feed, as well as Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise. We've got the Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, literary tracks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, the Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard, and saddle up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, you'll find me one with a completed show. Did that with Drea Kaufman. It's called Owl Post. So we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And last but not least, you'll find me on aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we are talking about Star Wars each and every week. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.